Welcome to Christ Church Pops, a podcast of Christ Church Parish in Pensacola, Florida. Here we'll be sharing the preaching of the parish, both recent and from the past, as well as conversations with the people of the parish. So let's go. So since I don't write my sermons out, I mean, I memorize an outline, I work on them. I don't mean to say I just wing it. But since I do, I never quite know what's going to happen. Sometimes I will say things I didn't expect. Other times I will actually sing when I expected to say. So you're going to, unfortunately, in the sermon, hear my singing voice. I preach this sermon to speak to a reality I face a lot. When I'm talking to people who are deeply grieving the death of somebody that they know is alive in the Lord, but they still desperately miss. So this is a sermon that I called Hope for Those Left Behind. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So this sermon may be hard for some people to hear. Um, Not because I'm going to say something radical or really challenging, but because for some it may touch a little close to the heart. Um, And for those people I would say, just remember that you are in a safe place and you are loved. It's kind of an ominous way to begin a sermon, I know. So I get these songs in my head. And when I get a song in my head, it plays over and over and over again. I listen to it all the time in my office. I listen to it when I'm at home. And then I will learn how to play it on the guitar or the piano or or the banjo. You should hear my version of Dear Theodosia from Hamilton on my banjo. It's breathtaking. (laughs) And... The song that's been in my head, and I keep playing over and over again recently, is a song uh, by a singer-songwriter named Jason Isbell called If We Were Vampires. And it's not about vampires at all. It's about a man coming to grips with mortality. But not his own mortality, but the mortality of the woman that he loves. It's him realizing that at some point in their lives, one of them will die. And then what will happen after that? So one of the verses goes, If we were vampires and death was a joke, we'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke, and we'd laugh at all the lovers and their plans, and I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. And then the verse goes, And knowing that this can't go on forever, it's likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. And maybe we'll have 40 years together, but one day I'll be gone, or one day you'll be gone. Y'all are lucky I didn't bring out my guitar. And there's another verse, he's come to dips with this idea, right? That one day, one of them will have to face this world alone. And so he comes to the realization that that makes life a gift. And maybe there's a gift knowing that life is short. And so he goes on to say, maybe time running out is a gift. And I'll work hard till the end of my shift. And give you every second I can find. And hope it isn't me that's left behind. I think one of the reasons this song is stuck in my consciousness is one, my own marriage, I think about this, but also as a priest, 
one of the things I do a lot of is try to give comfort to those who feel left behind, who have lost somebody that they love, a parent, a friend, a child, or a spouse. They realize that their time together was beautiful but too short. They feel like they are the one who is left behind. Now hold that thought. In today's gospel passage, it's a big series of of challenges where people are coming up to Jesus and trying to knock him down a peg. I mean, he's become at this point famous, he does miracles, he's been teaching, people are crowding around him, and all the people who have the power are threatened by Jesus. And so they're trying to come up with him with questions that he can't answer or challenges he can't figure out in a hope that the people will realize that he's a fraud. And so they come to Jesus and they tell Jesus this ridiculous scenario. Now to understand this scenario, you have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it says in Deuteronomy and practiced out in Genesis that if a man dies leaving a woman childless, his brother should marry her and give her a child. Now that seems super weird, right, to us. And it is very, very weird. But in a world before women's rights, in a world where women were not treated equally, in a world where women could not hold property or have legal standing, there needed to be a man in the household to provide that. So a woman who was a widow, was left very much in danger of the world around her. So the brother-in-law was to marry her and give her a child, and then the child would actually not be the brother-in-law's child. According to law, it would be the child of his brother who had died. Giving the woman now legitimacy, because a woman who has a male heir has legal claim and can own property through on behalf of her child. Does that make sense? So the idea was that you would go and you would provide stability for a woman. Now that law, of course, nowadays makes no sense. But it sort of makes a weird kind of sense in the ancient world. So, knowing that, the Sadducees... Now the Sadducees were people who did not believe in the resurrection. There were other things they believed or didn't believe also. And that was very much an open debate in Jesus' time. What would happen to people when they died? And the Sadducees kind of held to this belief that it wasn't the people that would be resurrected, it was Israel as a whole that would be resurrected. And they were threatened by Jesus, so they go to Jesus with this ridiculous situation. So there was a man with seven brothers. And he marries a woman, and and he dies before they have a child. So the brother marries the woman, and then he dies before they have a child. So then the next brother marries a woman, and then eventually all eight of them have married this woman, and then she dies too. Which sounds, I know, for many women in the room, terrible, the idea of marrying eight brothers. <laughs> but he says, and so then the Sadducees, So Jesus, who's in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They're trying to set a trap for Jesus. She's a trap. Like Jesus is going to have to enter into some ridiculous scenario in order to prove somehow this thing. And Jesus refuses to be trapped. And he refuses to talk about what they want to talk about. 
They want to talk about this ridiculous idea of the resurrection, which doesn't make sense with this situation, whatever, whatever. And what Jesus says is marriage isn't the same in heaven as it is on earth. But what he really wants to say is that God is not the God of the dead, but the living. And he proclaims the power of the resurrection. Now, Jesus knows the power of the resurrection. He will heal people. He will raise people from the dead. And, of course, he will rise from the dead himself, allowing for you and me to be resurrected. What he wants to talk about is the power of the resurrection. What they want to talk about is some trick. And Jesus doesn't want to fall for it. Instead, he proclaims that God is not a God of the dead, but the living. So these Sadducees use this situation of a woman whose husband dies as a theoretical, hypothetical trap. But for us, it's a, it's a real question. What happens when we die? What is heaven like? What will the relationships that we had on earth be like when we get to heaven? What is heaven like? We all have those questions. And unfortunately, I don't have many answers. Because the Bible is a little skimpy when it comes to details about what the resurrection is going to be like. I mean, there are lots that we do know. We do know that that which is us lives on there. So it's not like we cease to be and become part of the great essence of God. No, we stay ourselves and we somehow go into a new life. And in that new life, the Bible tells us, is the way that God wants this world to be. And in that world, the world to come, there will be no pain or sorrow or sickness or injustice. There will just be love. And in that world that is to come, we will live forever and we will go to the place that Jesus went and we will live there. Beyond that, I don't really know. But we proclaim it anyways. You see, that's what faith is. Faith is the willingness to believe something that we can't explain fully. To have a hope that we don't fully understand. To have a stubborn belief. Even if we can't answer all the questions. So we in the face of death, proclaim life. Now, there are a lot of things that other denominations do better than Episcopalians. They do some great things, and we should learn from them. But there are two things, in my opinion, that Episcopalians do better than anybody else. Marry people and bury people. I think our liturgies around those two services are beautiful. And there's a part of the burial service where the priest stands and looks at the grieving congregation and says... In the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. And then continues to proclaim the truth that we believe. In the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. We believe that those that we love live. And that one day we will go to that same place. But we have been left behind. There's a passage in 2 Samuel where King David has, um, has married Bathsheba. That's a whole weird, complicated story in itself. 
and they have a son, and God has said that the son would die. And when the son is an infant, it gets sick. And David, um, David grieves his sick child, hoping that God will change his mind. And, and he, he doesn't eat, and he, he, he stays on the floor, and he's constantly wailing and beseeching God. So much was he acting strangely that his servants were afraid to tell him that his son had died because of what he would do. And when they go and they tell him that his son has died, he does something weird. He gets up, he takes a bath, he asks for food, and he goes about the rest of his life. And they don't understand. They say, why are you doing this? Why are you sad, sad before and not now? And he, he says, but now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? This is the part I want you to hear. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David is saying of his child who has died, one day I will go to him, but he can't return to me. This is the truth that we proclaim. That one day we will go where they are. But between now and then, they can't come back to us here. We're the ones who are left behind. But like David, we have to decide, we have to make the choice that what we're going to do in response to death is live. That we will live lives that are worth living. Lives full of joy. Lives full of friendships, lives full of the service of the God that loves us, that we will live this life until we go to where they are. So if you are grieving, let's be honest, we've all been there. We have all had somebody we love die. And if you haven't, you will. Know that your grief is real. And you shouldn't feel ashamed that you're sad. Because you've lost something. But also, there is hope. There is our stubborn hope in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection that one day we will all be together in our Father's house. That is what we proclaim. That while they can't come back here, one day we will go there, and so therefore between now and then we choose to live. I don't know how you would face this world without that hope. But it is the bedrock of our faith. That death is not the end. That there is resurrection and life eternal. And one day, we'll be there with those that we love. But for those of us left behind, we choose to live.
the life that God has given us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christ Church Pops. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, hit like, and share with your friends. And please join us for worship in person or on YouTube or Facebook. And you can learn more about Christ Church at christ-church.net. This podcast is by Father Michael Hoffman and Reverend Katie Gillette and edited by Jake Wolstatter. Christ Church exists to show everyone God loves them unconditionally. So remember God loves you and have a blessed day.